Hello and welcome to the IntraFish podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry. I am joined today by Editor Rachel Mutter and Executive Editor John Fiorello. Hello, you two. We're going to be talking about the IntraFish Seafood Power 100 in this episode of our podcast. We released this on Tuesday to much fanfare. As you can imagine, it is a ranking of the 100 most influential people in the seafood business. Now, it's been a fascinating, uh, fascinating time to get the responses to this. Um, it, it always is. We haven't done one, I think, in nearly five years now. And there's just there's so many changes and so many different things to talk about in terms of the makeup of this sector. So uh, this is going to be a fun discussion. Um, Rachel, why don't I kick it over to you and you can talk a little bit about our decision making process, uh, measuring power and measuring influence. There is no quantitative scale for that, but um, tell us a bit about it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's worth starting off by saying this was quite a difficult list to compile. Um, <laughs> it's a it turns out it's quite a big industry, bigger than bigger than we will necessarily think of it as. And there's such huge scope of sectors and different kinds of companies. And I think we sort of set about this with just looking at sort of where the influence lies. So there's a lot of CEOs in there, but we also were trying to look at those people who aren't necessarily CEOs, but are in their own way, influencing what's happening, whether that's around sustainability, um, whether that's around, you know, different different sectors of the industry, innovations and research and stuff like this. So we tried to make it as broad as we could. Um, but yeah, obviously within that, I, I guess there's, there's a caveat that it's that it's subjective. Um, this was this was sort of the opinion of the three of us using the resources that we have to hand. Um, and I think I think also it probably highlights that there's certain areas of the industry that are still um, a little bit of a mystery to us. Um, there's not enough Asian representation on there, um, and other sectors are sort of are sort of missing. So I think to us it was it was a real learning experience as well to go about it. And I, I I'd say that anyone who reads it will probably find it quite quite a learning experience. Um, so it's definitely worth looking at from that regard. Um, yeah, but it's it's a tricky thing to do. It's a tricky thing to do. We tried to balance it as much as we could. So, John, you took a look at the uh, last one that we did, um, and you were kind of comparing and contrasting. So, what did you see in terms of uh, you know of the faces that were on there, in terms of the companies? How different is uh, our list this year than it was uh, when we last did it? Yeah, I was actually struck by how different it is, uh, how the faces have changed. Um, yeah, I don't want to say significantly, but, you know, noticeably uh, from five years ago. And, um, you know, there's there's lots of different influences that uh, are causing that. You know, there's the, the rise in salmon uh, has been so dramatic that, you know, a lot of those companies obviously are are in that list, uh, the CEOs from those types of companies. Also, you know, the, one of the more obvious changes is there, while, you know, there aren't, uh, I guess, a ton of female uh, representatives in the listing, there are 20, 20 or so, so that's about 20%. Yeah. 
So um, I can't remember the number from the last list, but I'm pretty darn sure it was significantly less than that. So that shows some progress, I think. Um, But, you know, we've gotten some feedback since um, it was published. And, you know, the overwhelming uh, uh, result is there just still aren't enough uh, female executives um, in seafood. And, uh, you know, that's true. It's been a quote-unquote man's, you know, realm for quite a while, um, forever, I guess you might say. But it is changing. And, you know, we, we looked at the Fortune uh, 500 companies and what percentage of those are led by uh, female CEOs. And uh, that's 7.4%. So, you know, um, based at least on our Power 100, um, you know, ours is uh, a little better representation. Yeah, you know, I I found it uh, interesting when we were putting this together as well that, um, you know, it it does show that there has been some pretty significant progress. Now, I'm putting an asterisk by this, and I'm absolutely putting the caveat down that, no, it's, it's not good enough. It's not where it should be. However, um, you need, it's important to note you have some really, really, uh, powerful positions that are now held by women. Um, whether that's, uh, the spreading CEO, the Cargill Aqua Nutrition president, uh, Bumblebee Seafood. So you have Teresa Logberior and Pilar Cruz, Jan, uh, Jan Tharp, and, you know, these are a lot of these were people that were not known uh, quantities back five years ago. And that's really, really encouraging to me. So, um, again, no, it's not happening fast enough. But I do think that um, the fact that there are women taking on these C-suite roles uh, and being offered and hired in these C-suite roles is um it's a progress that, that should be noted and, um, and celebrated in, a, in its own small way. But I will let the, the woman on the podcast give her view on this. <laughs> yeah, we, we, have, we have 30%, 33.3% representation of females on this uh, podcast that we're doing. There you, go. Um, there you yeah, go. There you go. Above the average. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, there's, there's 22 women. But I agree. I think that is more uh, than the last time we did it five years ago, significantly more. Um, and so I think there are, there are improvements happening. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. And I think it's not just, it's not just about women, but it's about diversity. We, we had a comment from, from somebody um, that was brilliant. And she said that there's more, there's more guys named Felix in the listing than there are black leaders. Um, which, which is sort of quite astounding and quite reflective of sort of the lack of diversity, I suppose, that's happening. But yeah, in our defence, we're 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 holding a mirror up to an industry here. Um, so this is, you know, there there could have been we could have gone at it with some um, agenda to put an equal amount of women as there are men and put an equal amount of people of colour on there as there are white people. But that's not the industry. That's not how it is. And I think actually. In, in publishing this list, we, we're making a pretty a pretty good point about um, what's happening in this sector, and it's sort of it's worth examining. Um, so yeah, there's not enough diversity, but as you say, it has improved since the last time we did it. Um, and if anything, people can take from this that it yeah they need to do they need to do more about it in their organisations. 
I had a thought about this last night because um, this industry globally is going through, you know, a significant transition from the traditional industry that's male dominated. It's dominated by um, some family owned companies or, you know, some corporations that have always been male dominated. Um, but as investors come in and as new money comes into this industry and new sectors develop, land-based, for example, um, and the older traditional sectors get consolidated, they're, they're, it's happening under more professional, if you will, companies and leaders and organizations. And those tend to be a lot more advanced in their hiring practices and their diversity and things like that. So I'm, I'm guessing right now, but I'm guessing five years from now, uh, this could be a completely different situation than we see at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you're actually absolutely right, John, that they're, these larger companies, they do have and are putting in place much more sophisticated human resource uh, systems that are that are, are going to begin to um, begin to uh, to write things a, a bit more. Um, I want to talk a little bit too about the different regions because this is it speaks somewhat to our limitations I guess uh, here at Intrafish uh, and and our focus and what we cover um, we operate although we have multilingual reporters, we publish in English. Uh, we go to primarily, I don't want to say that we go to, we go to, uh, to shows, um, all around the world, but I will say that we're not actively in, for example, the Chinese, uh, industry or, um, countries in Africa. So, you know, I think that is another limitation that I've found myself running into was, um, gee, you know, I don't know who the leaders are in Saudi Arabia, in the seafood industry, or in Nigeria, or in Namibia, you know, and, and again, some of these, um, some of these uh, countries just don't really have a global influence. If you're landlocked, you're probably not going to have a lot of global influence in, in seafood. But, you know, it does, I think, speak in part to the insular na nature of some country seafood sectors like Japan, uh, or like China, um, or it speaks to countries' roles in the world, uh, in the seafood supply world. So, you know, you kind of look at China as a good example. It's, it's so peopled with reprocessors, or it has been traditionally, and there's going to be an evolution. Um, even companies that have produced um, tilapia and shrimp and the like, it's been done by, uh, for the most part, small individual farmers without a lot of power. Um, and I think that's going to change as consolidation um, kind of hits the shrimp uh, farming sector uh, in particular more and some of these other sectors. And as China in its own right um, continues to, uh, to grow and develop as a seafood consumer. Curious what you guys think about that and, um, you know, and just kind of... Um, what we might see in the future in these different uh, countries and if there's sort of, uh, you know, if there's unknown leaders that will emerge in some of these nations that are big consumers and big producers, but don't really have a, a global, um, you know, global engagement. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I, there weren't a lot of, if, if you sort of look at the balance of, let's say, um, salmon, salmon related um, leaders versus shrimp. I mean, shrimp is, is much smaller on our list. Um, and that's not in, that seems sort of incorrect because shrimp obviously is a huge industry. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's so fragmented, the shrimp industry in terms of production. And obviously, there's sort of big processes in there. But again, they don't necessarily hold that much sway. It's sort of still um, a bulk product. And I think, therefore, the influence isn't necessarily there. Also, they're sort of not sat so much on the sustainability stage, which has been quite a big theme of this list, too, as we, as we went about it. Um, so I think, yeah, but you're right, that will, that will change. Um, and I think in years to come, we'll see shrimp much better represented. Um, we, we're already seeing the industry... It, there's some consolidation, but also there's people coming into the sector who are sort of acting as middlemen, sort of pulling the supply chain together. We just we just had a story this week from a new company in India, for example, which is not well represented on the list at all, um, but obviously has a huge seafood industry, um, particularly in shrimp. But yeah, but, but yeah, there's Captain Fresh who's sort of pulling together a supply chain mechanism um, that will that will sort of command a lot of power, I think, in years to come if it's successful in the Indian industry. So I think people like that will start to crop up and it will change in years to come. And I think that will be really interesting to watch. You know, I think you look at the um, you look at the companies that are on the list and you look at the size of uh, of them versus where they were five years ago or so. You can really see the uh, scramble for resource. And you look at a lot of these companies that have, have been acquisitive. Um, let's take Parlevlied and Vanderplas as one. Um, wow, they've added on a lot of different companies, uh, moved a lot more downstream. Um, you just see through the list, of course, Thai Union, uh, Cook. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting to see that we're beginning to really notice this emergence of larger vertically integrated um or horizontal companies that are stretched across multiple species. Um, but one of the key themes, I think, um, of having, um, I guess you would say, kind of influence in the economic sense, uh, rather than necessarily leadership sense. Um, because I do want to point out, you don't have to be, we didn't put people on the list because they're nice. <laughs> we put people on the list because they're influential. There's plenty of nice people on the list. Don't get me wrong, um, but that's that's not what we were uh, what we were after. Um, we're after a really clear-eyed um, kind of third-party look at at what influences. So, I mean, I think what you uh, what you see is that this discrepancy between the uh, larger companies and the kind of middlemen, it's just starting to grow more and more and more. And I think that probably when we first did this list, uh, I want to say maybe it was in 2012, I can't remember, but um, you did see a lot more people up and down the supply chain. And, you know, you have to say the supply chain is contracting and you can see it in these, in these faces. Yeah, and running running a company well and making profit <clears throat> is certainly, you know, a factor in a lot of the selection process. But when you look at 
a lot of these people that were chosen, they go beyond their own company. And I think that was one thing that, you know, we were we were looking at. Rachel kind of referenced it a little a little while ago about sustainability. But these people go beyond their own interests and their own company to kind of extend themselves and their influence to the broader industry or at least their sector. Maybe it's salmon, maybe it's tilapia, whatever it may be. So that, you know, that uh, I found that to be an interesting measuring stick for some of our choices. And I think we did a pretty good job of finding those people that were not only good for their own company, but were really trying to push the industry forward in one one way or another. We sort of came under some criticism, I think, from 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 some people that sustainability was referenced too often, um, which is which I found sort of a strange criticism because, I mean, yeah, I of course of course we're going to choose those people who have an influence over sustainability because it's the sort of everything in the industry right now to to be sustainable. So you know, I don't feel at all like that was over. Um, it was in there too much. Um, Someone mentioned it was it was mentioned 19 times, but I think it should be it should be those people, of course, should be having influence um, in the sector right now. So I think, yeah, yeah, that was a that was quite a key theme of it that that hadn't really come up the last time we did it quite so much. Um, so I think that's interesting, too, and, and hopeful for the sector, because because people who are who are driving sustainability should be influential. Well, we tried to, you know, pick the unsustainable ones, but they all went bankrupt. So there wasn't, there wasn't much to pick from. Um, but uh, but I think that, that another thing that's interesting that people pointed out is a number of Norwegians on the list. There's there's I think the most amount is Americans. But I will say that a couple of Norwegians that are living in the United States uh, were put on the U.S. list, so I think it's about even between Americans and uh, and Norwegians, and uh, and I think that's um, I think that's uh, very interesting. And Rachel, you pointed this out that these salmon companies have really become so powerful; they become so large, and they've become um, so profitable. Um, it's just amazing what has happened with the amounts of money that have been made off the back of salmon farming, um, you know, in, in the past decade, but certainly in the past few years alone. Um, and so you, you do see, I think kind of an interesting thing when you look at the list is you don't necessarily see, um, a company like movie, for example, you don't see them really extending into other kind of species on the resource side, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you see folks like Glenn Cook uh, doing that. Um, but it, it, I look at this list and think, wow, where are these people going to go next with all this money? You, you look at Leroy Seafood, you know, you look at, I mentioned Movie, uh, Salmar, Norway Royal, Grig, Cermak. I mean, these are massive, massive companies with plenty of money to deploy. Um, but they've kind of kept to their own lane, you know, and that's uh, I find that interesting and wonder when that might change. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's worth mentioning, too, that all of us received so many heartfelt thank yous from people that were on the list. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, anybody appreciates that and we certainly appreciate the heck out of it. But 
it was, you know, a lot of people had no idea. I mean, I don't think they expected to be on any list. They didn't know any list was coming out. So, um, you know, I mean, just personally that, that I find that very gratifying. There's not a lot of ways to be recognized, um, in this sector. Um, but there's a lot of people that have really made some significant changes beyond acquisitions, beyond uh, just making money. As we've said, there's there's people on this list that, you know, probably don't have a, a private jet and <laughs> probably don't have a lot of money in the bank account. But they have had real influence and, and they've done that through hard work and they've done that through collaboration and partnership. And um, it's it's impressive. So um, it was a really fun list to uh, to put together. And I'm looking forward to uh, all the additional feedback that we're likely going to get uh, on this because it keeps coming in. So we're on social media. We're doing some more uh, follow ups to it. And we'll be profiling uh, individual people on the list. And, uh, and uh, so the, the fun's not going to stop. We're going to really enjoy digging down into these leaders and um, giving you all some more information. So let's shift gears just a little bit in the time that we have left. Um, it was a strange week for, uh, for climate. It's been a strange few weeks for climate. Um, those of us that live on the West Coast of the United States, of course, are living under a pretty uh, hazy cloud of smoke. Uh, and it's been a bizarre thing to be able to look up in the sky and see the orange sun that's barely shining through the smog, um, through the smoke. And it's just, it's been a visible reminder of uh, climate change, I think, for many people in the world, as were the Australian fires earlier this year. Um, when it when it comes to fisheries and climate, there there is just a drip, drip, drip of information and reports that have uh, been coming out uh, for, for two decades, really. Um, the call's been getting louder, of course, um, because things are getting more urgent. Um, but this was an interesting week, not only for those fires, but also uh, for how one group of scientists... Um, it was actually several associations of fishery scientists released a statement. Um, and I believe those associations represented, I want to say 80,000 individual scientists, um, if I'm not mistaken. And they gave a statement that was very, very strong. And it was unique in that uh, it came from researchers and it was unique in the language that was used and unique in how many people it represented. But I'll just tell you a little bit. I'll just read a couple of quotes from it because it's it's so kind of striking. Um, you know, let's see here. Swift and resolute action by governments and by individuals to reduce emissions is essential to halt irreversible impacts uh, to fish and fisheries from climate change. That's a pretty powerful statement. It goes on with a lot more than that. Um but, uh, but I don't know. I think that um, that coupled with kind of some, some recent hires in NOAA by the Trump administration, it's a little bit scary that we actually seem to be seeing a lack of forward progress on, on climate. I'm curious what you uh, two thought about the uh, announcement and, um, yeah, if you have any thoughts on on uh, where the industry is in terms of playing its part to address it and what can be done 
It's a big question, but Rachel, go ahead. Fix climate change. <laughs> yeah, two seconds. Let me just solve this for you. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that obviously the, the effects of the climate crisis have been playing out for quite a long time now. Um, but obviously, once it once it starts being seen in in the US, then people maybe start to take more notice. Um, it's yeah. I mean, we've been writing about this for years now, um, in terms of particularly sort of down in Australia and New Zealand, um, where they've been really suffering the effects of of climate change. They've seen much warmer waters in the summer, um, which have impacted their mortality rates. The salmon farmers. Um, it's, it's had huge impact and their government is cognizant of that. Um, I think that's the difference probably in places like Australia and New Zealand. The governments are very aware of what's happening with the climate and they build a lot of policies around trying to deal with that and, and help production industries like salmon sort of carry on because they can't carry on farming in the, in the waters near shore because they're getting too warm in the summer. So, so there's a lot of work towards... Um, going offshore and going to higher flow areas and colder waters. Um, and that's really being that's really being done there. But I, I feel like in other parts of the world, it's just sort of being ignored. Um, the US is a prime example. Um, and, we, you know, we see it. We see it all the time. And maybe we don't always identify it as climate change. But you just have to see this week um, bluefin tuna breaking into salmon nets in Norway. I think it was it was Maui and Salmar farms that, that had that this week. I mean, you shouldn't be seeing bluefin tuna in Norway. It's It should be too cold. So I think there's all these things. In Canada, there's been far more sort of disease outbreaks this year in salmon farms. There's been algae. This is all part of climate change, um, whether we label it as that or not. But yeah, when when governments, Western governments start to take real notice, I don't know, because that's that's clearly what it will take, you know, for something to happen. Yeah, I, I took a look at this on the uh, Bering Seafront on uh, Alaska Pollock in a, in a column uh, that I wrote today. And there's been a lot of uh, a lot of research that's actually been been done up there in the Alaska Fishery Science uh, Center about climate change. And they've done some excellent reporting and excellent monitoring that it's it's just it's irrefutable that these uh, that these waters are warming and that it's having an effect on uh, on fish behavior. We, we all know that um, that that's a fact. Um, just for fun, I pulled up global warming in our archives to see when we first mentioned it. And um, hey, we had a story in 1999 tropical dolphins stranded on Irish coast. So yeah, we've been writing about it for a while, but um, yeah, you know, uh, maybe it's time to write a bit more about it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you know, the, we can't continue without at least mentioning, you know, in the I'll just talk about the U.S. for the moment, but you know, there's been climate deniers for a long time, and climate change deniers for a long time, and that that will always be. But when the executive of the of the country is a climate change denier and openly mocks anything and does anything he possibly can <clears throat> to remove references to climate change from government websites and government publications, etc. I mean, we, we've entered into a, a new bizarre world. And, 
you know, the, the lasting uh, the lasting result of this uh, Trump administration will be the, the death of truth, because now now there's no truth. It's like if you you know, if you side with this group, that's the truth. If you side with that group, that's the truth. Well, when it comes to climate, that's a damn dangerous game to play because there is some truth out there. There's a lot of science out there. It's not some deep state crap-ass conspiracy or whatever else they want to come up with, right? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's so frustrating. But I will say, to dig myself out of this frustration, that uh, maybe that's the challenge we put to our Power 100 people. Hey, you know, pick pick it up. Let's go. You guys are leaders. Lead us, you know, somehow through this climate change impact on, on the oceans and on fisheries, because... I don't care how many sustainable certifications you have, if climate change, you know, takes takes uh, your fishery away, it doesn't matter anymore. So, yeah, okay, I'm done. That's me. <laughs> hey, I think that's a fantastic way to end the podcast, John, with uh, with giving a challenge to the Power 100. That um, you know, I know there is a lot of effort being made out there, um, but. Yeah, it, it is urgent. And it's not just fisheries, of course, it's aquaculture as well. I think aquaculture has not, because of the control you have in place over your biomass, the aquaculture sector hasn't really maybe felt that as much. But there's warming temperatures uh, in Canada have had a huge impact with algal blooms and uh, uh, also disease, which, of course, does a lot better in warmer waters. Um, so it's, it's coming, it's, um, well, it's already here. Uh, and the question is how to mitigate it and how to continue to have a productive, uh, industry, um, while this is happening. Cause it, it certainly can't be stopped at this stage. Um, it can be, uh, mitigated, it can be reduced, it can be slowed, but it cannot be stopped. So, um, largely we have two things here. There's a change in behavior, a change in company behavior, um, and how climate change is positioned in, in, the, um, in the way companies operate. And then there's the other side of that, which is, um, you know, the, the term essential industry has been used, right, a lot during COVID of, of companies that need to continue operating because they're essential to human health or essential to food security. So seafood has been among those. Fisheries and aquaculture companies have been among those. So there's a, an absolute clear uh, mandate that, um, that these companies continue to produce food. The world needs it. Absolutely. Uh, and the world needs sustainable protein and seafood's a great source of that compared to terrestrial proteins and, and other, uh, and other animal proteins. So, um, that's the big question now is how then does the industry go about operating in this new reality? Um, and that's going to be interesting to see what uh, what it's going to take. All right, folks, we'll leave it there. Hey, join us on Wednesday, September 23rd for our next IntraFish live digital event. Uh, we'll be talking about disruption in the salmon farming sector. Really looking forward to this one. Uh, the last one was a huge success. Um, this one is going to be equally as interesting. We have Kamanchaka, we have Atlantic Sapphire, we have Kvaroy, we have uh, DNB and Innovacy. 
Um, just a fantastic lineup of, uh, of guests that are going to be able to hit on all kinds of uh, issues in the sector. And we will be announcing our person of the year. We usually announce this in Brussels every year, but alas, we were not uh, able to go to Brussels as nobody was. So uh, it took a while to get ourselves together and figure out a time when we could give this to our person of the year. I'm very, very excited about this person. Um, so uh, tune in. You can go to intrafishevents.com and register for the event. And that is Wednesday, September 23rd. We'll look forward to seeing you there. That's it, folks. We'll talk to you next time.